you're hearing this episode on the Really True Fiction feed, I just want to let you know that episodes of The Liberal Soul won't always appear here. If you're enjoying The Liberal Soul, please subscribe to it on whatever app you use to get your podcasts. Have a great day, and may the Force be with you. The Liberal Soul is a podcast where I talk to people about their passions and their interests. I'll relay some of my own, as well as discuss works and thinkers important to the history of liberal philosophy. The Liberal Soul is meant to represent the people who are curious about the world and live to see themselves and others flourish within it. Please be aware that this podcast has some crude language and sometimes some bad words, but so it goes. Hello, you found the liberal soul. My name is Luke Mason. My guest for today's episode is David Harris. David is a friend of mine who I met in Korea, but he's from England, as you will be able to tell from his uh, accent. Although, if you are listening in England, you will be able to tell where I'm from from my accent, I suppose. (laughs) And I wanted to get David on the podcast because he's one of my favorite people ever to talk to. We've just had one of those friendships that's so full of revelry and laughter and... Uh, There are just so many good memories of hanging out with him in the bars in Gwangju, South Korea. So I wanted to get him on as a uh, guest because he and I talk about, um, among many other things, basically like his love for the Tottenham Hotspurs. You'll learn what a hotspur is uh, (laughs) in this episode, as well as we talk about how we met, um, a little bit of Korean culture and what it's like to be a foreigner there. Um, We talk about the fandom of football in England, Team England, how it's a social release, um, maybe some of the things North American audiences are missing when it comes to football or soccer, (laughs) as we talk about, and how sports is such a great thing to connect people from diverse places and how that's been our experience uh, in our journey. It was a ton of fun to talk to Dave, so um, I hope you enjoy it. As well as if you're enjoying The Liberal Soul, I would just ask that you uh, subscribe on the podcast app of your choice so you can get notified when new episodes come out. As well as if you're on Apple Podcasts, if you could leave a a rating and specifically a review, because apparently reviews are a really good way to help shows grow and move up the charts. So if you are uh, in any way inclined towards this show, I would ask that you uh, leave a review as well as um, there's a Facebook group, The Liberal Soul, that you can join, and there is a Twitter account, at LiberalSoul87. And so, uh, without further ado, I bring you my good friend, David Harris. And I'm here with David. David Harris, how are you doing, bud? Good, good, man. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Uh, You were just telling me before we started recording, you got your first vaccine today. How was that? uh good yeah really good arms a little sore but apart from that mm. yeah no problems at all so like, that's all good like getting uh punched real hard <laughs> in the shoulder <laughs> yeah it does feel like i've just got punched to yeah. be fair it's that the vaccine but... can remind you of being 13 in middle school or something <laughs> or being a dad right now when oh. my <laughs> toddlers constantly beat on me do you get do you get punched in the arm a lot right now <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, Teddy. Teddy's my oldest. He's almost four, and he, uh, yeah, he does like punching, so. <laughs> <laughs> there which you is go. great. <laughs> so I've given you the listener. will have gotten a little introduction, but I didn't want to tell you. I was going to ask you this before we started, but I want you to tell. Well, I I know so, but say it again. The situation and how we met originally, <laughs> because I think it's a great story that almost no one in North America will know. <laughs> So we met at something called a hash, um, which I'll explain what that is later. But I was dressed as a robot mm-hmm. um, in full cardboard, <laughs> cardboard robot outfit with <laughs> giant industrial pipe cleaners for arms. <laughs> I remember that. And that was it, man. That was that was how we met. We were in South Korea. Yeah. I should probably mention that as well. Gwangju? Even more random. In Gwangju, South Korea. That's right. Now, I was going to ask, do you remember that I think I accidentally broke your costume that day? Um, <laughs> or someone did. Maybe it wasn't I mean, it, me. got, it got destroyed, didn't it? But <laughs> it was always going to happen. You know, yeah. you get a bunch of guys, some beer, some fancy dress, and... It was always going to go. Yeah. <laughs> but no, uh, I don't remember. I don't remember it was you who did it. Certainly there's no hard feelings. <laughs> there's um, probably at this stage, many listeners will know that I lived in South Korea for in total three and a half years over a five year period. But my first year, I lived in the city of Gwangju and that's where we met. So um, don't let the accent fool you. He's he's definitely not Korean. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's right. So yeah, I'm... I'm British. I'm an English gentleman. But yeah, that, that was how we met. And I want to put a little flag in for the listener. Like one of the reasons I wanted to invite you on to talk to you is that you're like one of my all time favorite people to talk to just in general. And <laughs> I have so many memories, so many great memories of my time in Korea. And in the utmost of them is the day I met you, because it was like the perfect encapsulation, I think, of my personality and yours in <laughs> Every facet, personal, social, uh, fun-loving. And yes, we met at this thing called a hash. And I, I was thinking about it. I was like, I don't think I know anyone in Canada who would know what a hash is. I'm sure there are some, but I don't know. So I, w- I was hoping you could tell us what is a hash, David. So I, I didn't know what one was until I joined in, in Korea. And it's the, it's the hash harriers. So it's, um, I think it's, they're called a, a drinking club with a running problem. <laughs> Is the tagline. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so essentially, it's a bunch of a bunch of people get together and they follow a trail, follow a route that's set by someone. And along the way, a drink stops and soju stops, which is like a a hard liquor, like a rice wine, <laughs> um, and games games to play. And there's always fancy dress as well. So essentially, yeah, it's a, it's a running club mixed with drinking, which is hilarious. With one or two or maybe three people who are kind of like the leaders. And they've like planned out the route and the activities, right? That's right. So they're the hairs, a hair like a rabbit. Mm. Um, so I guess they they run and then the group as a hash all together to follow the trail and try and catch them at mm-hmm. the end. And every hash, there's like a theme. And I think the day that we met, the theme was, was it robots? I guess it must have been robots or something like that. I think it was robots. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I remember you had your cycle helmet with some... <laughs> tinfoil on it well so here's the thing i only found out about the hash like that day right because that day i met this other guy who uh was named chris and i had done a running race that day like a couple of the teachers in korea had planned that morning to do like a 10 kilometer run and i did it 
and he told me about the hash that was happening later that day. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, I guess I haven't run enough today. I <laughs> so go run more. But so the thing was, it was last minute. I didn't have any time to make a costume. So all I did was put on a bike helmet and put some tin foil on it. <laughs> so like, I mean, <laughs> I guess that could also work for the conspiracy theory themed hash or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I just remember that day, like, there was probably about 40, 40 of us, a couple Koreans, but mostly foreign teachers or, or foreigners, dressed up as robots, hammered drunk mm-hmm. by probably about 4.30 in the afternoon, running around the streets of Korea. Yeah. <laughs> and just, like, the way that that was received by the Korean population of people around us was, like, just total disbelief and total confusion. <laughs> Like that yeah. was like one of the funniest parts of it. Because it wasn't it wasn't like we we were doing it on a track or like a designated route. It was just through neighborhoods, right? And we were just stopping at little seven elevens and mini marts and drinking beers. And you'd just yeah, run into a group of schoolgirls who would just be like, Whoa What? <laughs> like just speechless, like, what is going on? Why are there foreigners dressed up as robots? Ah, cosplay. Yelling it's and... just cosplay. Yeah, exactly. It's crazy. And so yeah, like that I just remember specifically on that day and and keep in mind dear listener this is a day where almost every single person around me is acting in an absurd manner pretty drunk and dressed up as some sort of robot feature so like there's extroversion all over the place going on right and yet in that milieu you still stuck out to me (laughs) in the milieu of like the most intoxicated extroversion i've ever been a part of i still noticed you above all others (laughs) <laughs> I was like, I was like, I gotta make friends with this guy. <laughs> I see something <laughs> in him, and you know, what I was thinking like that is almost ten years ago now. Wow, yeah, I yeah hadn't even realized, but yeah, it must be must be yeah, close to ten years ago. Twenty eleven when we. So anyway, if you have more questions about the hash, feel free to ask David, the local expert. So mm. I guess I guess this was a British military thing originally. Is that what it was? I think so, yeah. So I did I did research afterwards and yeah, it turns out the Hash Harriers were yeah, a British military group, but it's gone worldwide now. You know, there's there's Hash Harrier clubs all over the world. Um I think the guys who set it up were maybe even Canadian or, or American, the ones that we, we did mm. in Korea. Well, I do remember maybe to just uh bookend this part of it, like I remember that it got so notorious in Guangzhou that all the public school teachers were banned by their administrations from taking part in these hashes. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, that might have been after you left because I went to two more after that one. I think maybe one more with you and one after you had left Korea. And there was a significantly fewer teachers in the last one. And the scuttlebutt on that was that all the EPIC teachers, which was the public school teachers in Korea, were not allowed, had been like told, I guess warned, that if they had taken, if they took part in this... <laughs> Uh, what I guess was not considered a particularly pro-social activity from the (laughs) Korean Board of Education, (laughs) that um, they wouldn't be having jobs anymore. So there was significantly fewer people. So it it made its mark, at least, I guess. Yeah, it certainly did. (laughs) (laughs) So, though hashes are tons of fun, that's not actually why you are on the podcast today i mean you're you can be on the podcast for any reason anytime it's just that simple i'm not easy (laughs) (laughs) 
we talked a little bit before about like because one of the things on the liberal soul that I'm trying to get out even like think about as I talk about is like what are the things that are interesting and that people I know love and so when I floated that idea to you you talked about football or soccer as it might be known over here and just that's right right now you're wearing a Tottenham is that a Tottenham Hotspurs yeah it It is is, right so that's obviously (laughs) always been your team I very 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 lightly hold on to fandom of Liverpool so I'm apologies from the outset (laughs) I don't know how deep the rift between our two clubs go (laughs) but if it goes deep I will surrender early because I actually don't care (laughs) (laughs) this is one of the reasons why why I love football is that you know, everyone in the world, they know a team, they choose a team and they stick with it. And it's a thing in common with everyone. You know, you could meet any other person in the world and chances are, if you say, oh, do you like football? Do you like soccer? Mm-hmm. They'll know a player, they'll know a team and you've instantly got some sort of common ground, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess if we're going to like, <laughs> and though I am loath to do this, actually name a topic of what we're talking about today. <laughs> Something like, what is it like to be a football fan in England, right? Because obviously that's okay. where you live. And seeing how that fandom might be similar or different here for the sports that Canadians and Americans enjoy. But also, I don't know, just anything around the sport of football. I know that that's not very, <laughs> that's pretty broad. Maybe I'll ask, like, what were what are some of your earliest memories of the sport? So I've always been into football it's one of those things that's sort of passed down to you generally through your family on who you support um or through in the playground you know when you're three four years old someone will mention a team and you latch onto it so i guess my earliest memory of of football really wasn't the game at all just the subject of football Mm. being in the playground being four or five years old and kids saying oh who do you support who's your team and i was like uh I don't know. <laughs> and I remember going home to my mom that that night and saying, mom, who's who's my team? Who do I support? And she was like, well, you, you choose your own team. You know, you can choose whoever you want. Okay, what what are the options? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I narrowed it down quite quickly. Um, to, it was either Everton, Everton, who's the other team in Liverpool, mm. and Tottenham, Tottenham Hotspur. And what swung it is, is so wait a minute wait mom's. a minute clarification question there's two teams in liverpool one of them's called liverpool and the other one's called everton yeah so well i mean merseyside is the area but liverpool is they're, they're very close to each other yeah um, oh, okay but one one is everton one is liverpool well actually there's four four teams uh, um in liverpool but we, we won't get into that <laughs> okay okay sorry <laughs> not so just yet <laughs> it was everton or who sorry or tottenham, tottenham oh, okay. Hotspur, um who obviously i chose and yeah, there was a connection with my mum's family. She was from London. Um, her her family always supported Tottenham. For me, that was it was just an obvious choice. But I never I never actually went to a Tottenham game until I was maybe eight or nine, so much older. Mm. But I would watch them on the TV. I would follow them in the in the newspapers. You know, straight to the back of the you know read the sport. What was the score? Who was the best player? Right. Or you'd record record the matches and, and rewatch them. My first question that comes to mind, and I think I know the answer, but I think it, it might be, uh, what exactly is a hotspur? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of, this is the other thing I love about football is that it's it's such an old sport that, that even the teams are old. You know, Tottenham were formed in 1882, which mm. is, you know, way over 100 years ago. Yeah. Um, and 
it was formed by a guy called Harry Hotspur. Oh. And the spur was the, on the on the back of a cockerel, you know, like the the claw of a cockerel. Oh. So it's called a spur. So like on a cowboy's boot, you have a right, spur okay. as well. And yeah, they had a, a cockerel as their mascot and they were just called the Hot Spurs. Um, so, I'm not but sure it was they... his name and a thing? Uh, I'm not sure if his name was actually Harry Hotspur or that was his nickname. But um... Um, Is there any like cultural attachment to the hot spur on a rooster which is a cockerel i think yeah not not that i'm aware of um <laughs> it's just one of those unique names that's sort of sort of stuck um and seen the test of time so but yeah there's no so just to be clear your favorite football team their team name is named after a rooster's anatomy yeah that's okay. correct <laughs> next question <laughs> <laughs> no good i now i know <laughs> So, uh, are, do you live near Tottenham, which is in London, right? The team? Yeah. So not not really, no. And that's that's one of the things as well. England's a relatively small country, as you know, but there's so many football teams to support. You know, people see the top, the, the Premier League is twenty teams, mm-hmm. but the whole it's called the football pyramid for a reason. You know, the twenty teams are the top league. Right. Below that, there's another league. Below that, there's another league. Below that, there's another league. You know, and it goes down. There's 92 teams in the league system. That's professional. Mm-hmm. But below that, there's a whole plethora of semi-professional um, and amateur teams. So there's over almost a thousand registered clubs that play. Oh wow! Football in in a tiny. So you know, my local my local town has a probably five or six different teams. Mm. But to answer your question, no, I don't. I don't live. Um, I live maybe an hour away, so I can go and see the games. So generally, how it works is, you, you pick a team and you have your team, and that's it. You know, you stick with them through thick and thin. But because there's so many teams of such different quality, mm-hmm. quite a lot of people support their local team, so their local town, as well as you know a, a Premier League team or a top team as well. So you have your professional team that you support and your local team. So what's your local team that you support? Um, so it's Kettering Town. Yeah. And they are in the seventh tier at the moment. So <laughs> seven leagues below the, the Premier League. Do they um, have a fun uh, nickname or team name? Uh, the Poppies. They're called the Poppies. Oh, um, that's good. Yeah. So I'm not sure where it comes from, but they've got a poppy as their emblem. So it's the, good fun. the Poppies are the opium of your town. <laughs> <laughs> I believe would be the most accurate (laughs) way to phrase it. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's fun. Yeah. That reminds me a little bit of like how, because the most similar sport in terms of popularity in Canada is obviously hockey, although it's technically ice hockey, but if you want to mildly annoy a Canadian, ask for clarification when they say hockey. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. I went to the hockey game last night. Oh, do you mean the ice hockey game? what the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) That's another type of hockey? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And I live in Western Canada, British Columbia, but my favorite NHL team is the Montreal Canadiens, which is like on the other side of the country. So Mm -hmm. it's not common. And that was because when I was six, uh, the Montreal Canadiens won the Stanley Cup. And that was like my first exposure to hockey. So like the I just go for the team that's winning. Plus, we had a an exchange student in the in the college here who was from Montreal, and he was really nice to me. So he was, and he lived with my family, so he showed me. Anyway, so like, yeah, I, I get that you can be like, you kind of get exposed to teams by 
people who have an impression on you when you're young. And that's kind of like where it goes, right? So, because now we're older, we're in our 30s. Like, what does it mean to you now? Like, what do you feel still when you watch a hot Spurs game? Or Spurs, I guess is the right way to say it, right? Spurs, yeah. Spurs, yeah. yeah. Um, exactly the same. Exactly the same as what I felt when I was five, six, seven. So with hockey, the playoffs are on right now. And I watch it and I, and it's great. But I feel like I've migrated a little bit from like any sort of partisan love of the Montreal Canadiens where like I'm I feel like I'm more objective when I watch hockey now. Or I'm like, oh, I have a harder time cheering for them this year because they're so inept and kind of boring and they're just getting dominated by the other team. So I'm like not even as angry as I would have been like 10 years ago <laughs> that they were getting decimated yeah. by the other team. And I wonder if there's like a tighter, like a tighter sense of community around fandom in football in England than even hockey here, Canada being such a regional country. I think there's a couple of reasons for that. One is, I mean, and I assume, sorry, this is my ignorance. Does hockey have a draft system? Yeah. The same as, yeah. So that's one huge difference is that if you have a terrible year, Next year, you'll get, you know, a good pick and hopefully you'll come back a bit stronger. It's just a reset, right? Mm -hmm. End of the season is a reset and next year is next year. Mm -hmm. Football's not like that. Football doesn't end. You know, <laughs> if, you're, if, you're, if, you're, if your team are doing badly, right. it means they've got less money. It means next year they might have to sell some players. They might get worse. They might get relegated, right? <laughs> you're not in the Premier League anymore. You're in the right. tier below. Because the bottom four get relegated is that how it works the bottom three yeah so bottom the bottom three, three dropped drop down to the lower league and then the top performers of the league below get promoted up oh. so it's it's ever-changing you know you can get teams who are top of the premier league you know winning titles all of a sudden they make a few bad decisions sign a few bad players have a bad season and you know that can that can be really detrimental on the team yeah okay um so you you can't you can't afford to say you know, oh, this year's a write-off. We'll just wait till next year because you need to write those wrongs. You need to, you know. And the other thing is football teams are a business. They're not a franchise. So it's run as a business. You have a certain amount of money to fund. You know, if you start doing bad and people aren't going to watch your games, you know, you're not going to get the fans in. That's less revenue, which means you can't afford good players, right. which means you're going to get worse and worse. So it's, it's, a, it's a vicious cycle. You've got to always be improving and always be on top and there's no salary cap right there's no salary cap no yeah okay. so the top teams will get the top players and they'll pay the most money so it's <laughs> <laughs> does that affect fandom or like how does that interact with fandom because i i feel like that might be annoying unless you're cheering for one of the top teams i guess <laughs> i guess that's why people generally pick a top ish team to mm. support along with their local team because oh, it's okay. no fun watching a local team knowing you're always going to be in the ninth division and <laughs> you know that's essentially it but also there's the there's the cups right so you've got you've got the league where everyone plays each other and you get points and at the end of the season whoever finishes top wins but throughout the season you also have different trophies you can win there's the fa cup the football association cup and this is the best, the best competition in the world, in my opinion, because every single team in the UK, sorry, every single team in England, whether they're the Manchester United's, the Tottenham's, or whether they're the Kettering Towns, mm. or even the village, the village team, you know, okay, as long yeah. as you're registered, you play in this competition and you get some amazing matchups. So, you, so my, my uh, local town, Kettering Town, played against Fulham, who are a Premier League team. Right. 
in the competition, um, <laughs> which is crazy. You know, when would you ever get a, 11 professional athletes playing against a town team and it's live on TV? Like, it's insane. What was the score in that one? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, they lost. I think it was like 3-1 or something. Oh, okay. That's um, respectable. But it was respectable, yeah. Mm. But it's the feeling that, you know, for 90 minutes, you can you can hold your own against the best and it's, it's quite good. Yeah, now, so as an outsider... I mean, I grew up playing soccer. I started when I was nine or 10, I think. I actually remember my very first game ever in a league. I was on vacation or something with my family, and so I missed the first practice in the first game. So I didn't actually get a jersey for my first game because <laughs> because uh, I had missed like when they were handing them out. And for some reason, the coach didn't bring the extra jerseys to the first game. So I had to wear like a sweater that was like a similar color to my team's colors. <laughs> but my very first soccer game ever in my life, I scored. But we we lost 2-1, but I got the only goal for my team. So I played competitive soccer from like age 13 to 18 uh, mm-hmm. in, in, the, in the tryout leagues, as well as hockey. Those were my sports, hockey and soccer growing up. I mean, <laughs> because of COVID, all the Canadian stadium, stadiums are completely empty in the playoffs. And it's just yeah. crazy to note like how different political entities have different rollout plans for people with COVID because like the games in Florida and Texas are basically almost full capacity already in their their arenas. And it's like completely empty in Canada. I mean, that's a completely different issue, but there's like definitely an, a charged atmosphere when you go to a hockey game, like it's tons of fun. The -hmm. beer is super expensive and you don't care because you're just there yelling and you're yelling at the people wearing the other team's jerseys. But it's like, I've been to lots of hockey games. It seems like nothing compared to what we see on TV at English football matches. Like Mm -hmm. there seems to be a sort of almost religious element (laughs) to the fandom of football. And as like a super clear headed person, like what, what, I don't know, just, Expose on that, riff on that. Like, what do you? What is the the religion of the fandom of football in England? Well, I think I think you've touched on it there. It, it is a religion, you know. To some people, there's lots of similarities. I mean, you're born told, you know, you're born into it. Essentially, you know, I was told that Tottenham is who your family support, and mm. I made up the mind that I was going to be a Tottenham supporter, yeah. and that's it. That's my identity. <laughs> I'm never gonna. <laughs> you know, and you, and you joke, but I, I know that I will always support that team now. That's yeah. my team through right. life, through thick and thin. I'll defend them, you know, yeah. much as I would if it was a religion. You know, once a weekend, I'll gather with like-minded people who follow the same <laughs> beliefs as me. I will go to a place of worship and I'll watch them, <laughs> you know, and I will sing and I will cheer on, right. you know, and sing about my, and it, it's, it's very much a, a correlation with religion. Um, and I think what also is in there is rivalry, you know, mm. and intense rivalry as well. The fans are segregated at football. So the home team will never sit next to the away team. You know, there's barriers, there's blockades, there's police in between. Wow. So it's it's quite, yeah. I think that that is something that is really difficult for the North American mind to grasp when it comes to sports. I've been to a few places in the world where it's the infrastructure maybe makes it more important to have those barriers, but it's even hard to imagine a country like England needing (laughs) those kind of barriers too, until you watch (laughs) the videos of people or even like, um, I don't know if you ever seen the movie Euro trip. (laughs) 
Yes, <laughs> you yeah, have? yeah. Like the, I think it's a Manchester United fan bus, and uh, the actor Vinnie Jones, I think, is in it. <laughs> the, mm-hmm. the guy from Snatch and from Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels and several other films. Anyway, like that's like the stereotypical. And he's, he's an ex-footballer, you know. That? Yeah, yeah, that's right. He's famous because he used to play, and this is a great example. So he used to play for Wimbledon. Okay, who were known as quite a dirty team, and they had a lot of you know quite hard men, tough tackling. Were their and jerseys here's a, here's all white? A great example of. <laughs> no, they used to wear like purple. I think some, some kind of okay, purple. Okay, sorry, I didn't get that reference. Sorry. <laughs> well, Wimbledon, the tennis. Oh, the. <laughs> you see, I didn't make that connection because I think of Wimbledon the football team, not the <laughs> tennis. But yeah, okay, I'm with you. <laughs> well, Dave, in tennis, they have these four Grand Slams every year, and one of them's in Wimbledon. <laughs> One of them is in Wimbledon, yeah. which is in London. Yeah, <laughs> fully aware of that. Thanks, Luke. So anyway, sorry, but about yeah, that. Wimbledon is a, is a Wimbledon's a prime example of a team that did badly. You know, they were in the Premier League. They were a top top team, and then they got in a bad run of form. They lost some of their good players. They got relegated, and now the club doesn't exist. You know, mm. it essentially folded because the business was poorly run, and they ran out of money. You know, they had they they moved away to try and get more fans and essentially rebranded but the the team that was Wimbledon just doesn't exist anymore and that's that's the difference you know that's people really feel passionate about their team and their club because they can disappear you know if you don't take good care of it it can go yeah okay so then there's something kind of impossible to grasp look for sure in Canada we've had sport-based riots Mm-hmm. The most prominent ones I can think of were in 1994 and 2011, the two years the Vancouver Canucks lost the Stanley Cup. Um, there were riots in Vancouver ostensibly because of that. But they're pretty rare in a North American context for a riot to be based on a sporting outcome. So I'm super curious of like what, I mean, I don't know, I'm, I'm, maybe there aren't that many riots in England over sports. <laughs> but even the more micro sense of like needing barriers between yourself and the visiting team's fans are, I think <laughs> they, they seem foreign to the sensibilities of the yeah. average North American fan, uh, sports fan. So like what, what, what's in that do you think? So I think it's, it's a few things that we've maybe already mentioned as well. Like it's the rivalry, it's the tribalism, it's the alcohol, it's the event, you know, you don't just go and turn up and watch the game and then go home. You turn up four hours early, you go to the pub, you start drinking, you start cheering, you start shouting, you know, you walk down the street towards the stadium. There's, you know, maybe 10,000 of you all cheering for your team. And then you see the other, the other team coming the other way cheering, you know, <laughs> it's going to spark something. Sure. And it's being swept up in, in that, in that moment. I took, I took my mum to a football game. Obviously, she's a Spurs fan as well. And we went to the new stadium not that long ago. And my mom, who's a you know, 60-year-old lady, she's a, she was a teacher. She's mm. very calm, very mellow. And I saw her screaming, screaming in a football game. And she turned to me and she just said, oh, it's easy to get swept up into this, isn't it? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. <laughs> and you can turn. You can turn in the crowd. You know, you become oh, yeah. a statistic. For sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. one of those. Right. Well, yeah, and I mean, this has been a kind of... Um, I remember in my last year of university, I took a, a class on the sociology of violence in sports, mm-hmm. and our professor was a British guy who now lived in Canada, so he was like, he wrote 
the textbook, basically. So that was kind of cool. He was like the foremost academic on this stuff. And he was talking about, obviously, all of the social factors that go into a lot of what he knew, especially in, in like uh, football fandom in England. But also just, I wonder, this is like a pretty old observation in, in uh, like old in, in a modern sense, that sports has kind of replaced the gladiatorial arena and all of that kind of aggression and alphaness instead of yeah. on a battlefield is now found on a football pitch, right? Or the ice in hockey. Absolutely. Sense. For lack of a better term, a, a, a more hel- a, a more so a pro social outlet for baser human instincts. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And 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 the thing is football's always been a working class kind of sport in England. Mm, you know? That's a good point. Yeah. The, the the people who, you know, work hard for a living, whether they used to be miners or factory workers, and they would work, you know, often Monday through Saturday and then on Sunday they would go to the pub drink some beer and go and watch their team play football Mm. and it's as you say it's a release it's no wonder that you know you get together with like-minded people who follow the same thing singing the same songs you're a little bit drunk you know (laughs) things can happen yeah totally no 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 especially when there's another group of people who are also with friends singing songs towards you saying bad things about the things you believe you know it's like an open religion where (laughs) Yes, yeah, we we believe different things, but instead of respecting that, I'm going to sing songs directly at you that mock your religion and you're going to you're going to sing a song back at me that specifically The great thing about the English is that they have um mastered the insult and certainly know how to do it the best in my experience. <laughs> so, yeah, there's some there's some great football chants. Just for fun, like do you ever sometimes like in a dispassionate moment think about something you said or did in a fan moment and like facepalm <laughs> has that ever happened to uh, you I've def- yeah yeah i've definitely said some <laughs> some questionable things and done <laughs> there was this one time i went to um i went to a football game it's tottenham against charlton charlton athletic who mm. are again a team that used to be in the premier league they were doing really badly and it looked like they would be relegated that season and my friend and i went to went to charlton it was an away game so I'll just explain for for people who don't know there's when it's a home game you get like 80 90% of the fans and mm. you, but you have to give 10% to the away team. So you're you're massively outnumbered if you're the away fans. Right. But quite often you out cheer the home fans because it's the hardcore people that go away sure. whereas it's quite often the families yeah, yeah. and at the home games. So <laughs> the minority quite often are the louder ones. When sport mirrors life, right? <laughs> Yeah, that's it. <laughs> he who shouts loudest. <laughs> but yeah, we ended up winning the game 3-0. So the, we were singing all sorts of, you know, we'll never play you again because they were going to get relegated and, <laughs> you know, all sorts of things like that. And I remember singing and pointing at the home fans, like really loud. And there was a, a mum and, and her daughter who couldn't have been more than maybe nine or ten. And they were looking at us crying. <laughs> And, it, and I remember turning to my friends just like, oh, we're really bad, aren't we? <laughs> like, essentially making a child cry over a game. Hot Spurs but fans making children cry <laughs> since 1882. <laughs> you know what? It's funny you bring up the um, chant aspect because 
on my other podcast, Really True Fiction, David and I have started, my cousin David and I have started reading the Harry Potter books to talk about. Mm -hmm. And for reasons having to do mostly with religion, I was never allowed to read those books growing up. And so I'm reading them for the, I, I watched the movies, but when they came out, but for the first time I'm reading Harry Potter books as an adult, as an adult, I'm reading them for the first time. And you really notice the parallel between football fandom in real life and the fandom of Quidditch in those books. Like all the chants <laughs> that everyone has around Quidditch and everyone's sporting the colors. Like in the movie, there's like scarves and and just there's there seems to be a lot more paraphernalia around football teams than there are necessarily of hockey teams in, in like you, yeah. you in, in Canada you get a jersey, right? Or maybe a hat. Maybe like one of those fingers that says number one our team (laughs) but there's just like there seems to be more clothing based and scarves especially i don't know it's just it's fun to see that parallel in in harry potter and you know real sports in england which is obviously where jk rowling's from right so yeah absolutely and again that's you know it's down to it being a business the clubs don't get money just for existing right they have to run and the way that they get their income is is through the fans, which is, it's kind of a double-edged sword because, you know, you're essentially a customer, you're paying, but you love the team. So you're willing to pay, but yeah, I guess that's why there's so much paraphernalia and and stuff Mm -hmm. is because they need to make the money essentially. So this is all club stuff. I mean, you're the designated expert on this podcast. (laughs) What do you think is England's relationship to the world cup? What's the fandom relationship to international football? Because it seems to be quite heated in the news whenever the World Cup's on and England loses the games that they lose. Yeah, I think that's, again, it's historical. It goes back to England, the empire, I guess. You Mm -hmm. know, we feel slightly self-entitled that a lot of people believe we invented the sport. Therefore, we should be best at it. The Premier League is, is probably the best league domestic mm-hmm. league of, of football in the world um in terms of quality but that doesn't that doesn't relate into to national team so well, I because think so many players in the premier league are from other countries right absolutely yeah yeah and we're we're a small country of you know england's 40 something odd million you know mm-hmm. it's tiny in comparison to some of the massive countries right so we set the bar far too high we have high expectations whereas you know, realistically, we have we have no right to be winning world competitions. We're a tiny little country, you know. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah, how many Brazil is like the sixth largest country or something like that? You know. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just hope that India and China don't start playing football, or else we're all doomed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good point. Hey, China could probably send like four teams to compete at the world. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's so China interesting. Team. <laughs> that's an interesting, like, historical feature of of football is like some of these sports that were brought around the world through, you know, empire and colonization. Now those countries where the that were colonized are just so much better <laughs> than the colonizers at the sports that they brought. And I think that there's a, I mean. That's there's something appropriate about that, I think, in the historical context. Absolutely, yeah. And it's when India play um, England at cricket, for example, and thrash us, like you just see it. There's <laughs> it's not just that they won the game, there's something bigger at large. Oh, sure, sure, so. sure. Do you play? 
So I used to play, I still, I still play recreationally. Yeah. Just friendly games. I don't play for a team anymore, mainly due to not having the time being a dad and also getting older as well. <laughs> but most people always play, you know, it's, it's embedded. You'll play it. As I said, you know, when you're four or five years old and you go to your school, you play it in the playground oh. and you continue playing it. Uh, I'm sure it's the same as hockey, you know? Yeah. Well, except that hockey even the most stripped down versions of hockey, you still need skates and a stick and ice and gloves, like some sort of sure. gloves, right? Whereas, you know, there's a couple of reasons I love soccer. Personally, the reason is that it's actually unbelievably fun to play. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. one of the biggest criticisms of the sport that I think is more or less unwarranted, but the one given here in, in North America is that it's just kind of boring. Every game is 0-0 or 1-0. And it's not as much fun to watch. And yeah, your your facial expression speaks my feeling as well. But I, I will say, like, it is so fun to play. The mm-hmm. amount of technique and effort and positioning and, and intelligence and athleticism that goes into it makes it such a dynamic sport to play. So as a player of soccer, I never cared if the score was one nothing versus 5-4 or something like that, right? Like, that never made an impact. But I think sports fans in North America are used to sports where the scores are a little higher, where more points mm-hmm. are recorded. I mean, basketball, obviously, the scores are in the hundreds. And then even an average hockey game, you're looking at a 3-2 score. I think that is a big difference between the fandom of, of soccer here versus football in England is that the most passionate fans of soccer here are also people who play it. And, and this is, you know, there's cultural and historical reasons for this but soccer just doesn't have the grip on canadian and american culture like it does in in england because there's other sports that do that for us right so yeah i guess i'm asking what do you say to those to those haters on on watching the sport like what are they getting wrong what are they missing i think what they're missing is the historical and the connection you know with the game i completely get it it's low scoring but for me, that is why it's so gripping to watch, especially as a fan in the stadium. Football is is not about, you know, winning 10-9 or, you know, as you said, ridiculously high scores. It's about that one moment, that one moment of magic where one person can do one thing and score a goal. And goals in football are so important. As you say, you know, you can win 1-0. And that's mm-hmm. that's the difference was that one moment that you had. So it's more intense, I think. You know, in basketball, you can watch someone, you know, you don't tell me every time someone scores in basketball, you go completely crazy and that like lose your shit for five minutes. Because well, that doesn't happen, I, right? I have my own, <laughs> I have my own, what I consider to be funny observations. I'll leave that up to the discretion of any listener. But what's great about basketball, because I, I don't watch basketball too much. When the Raptors made their run, I, I watched it a decent amount, but that was like a more cultural thing. It's just hilarious because with basketball highlights, they always give highlights for players way more than teams. Like there's a couple teams mm-hmm. where it's about the team, but mostly it's about the player. So it's not uncommon to watch a basketball highlight package on the sports channel or something where you see seven or eight or maybe even nine plays surrounding a specific player. And so they show you all of the buckets that that player made. And then the final score is their team still lost. But you didn't see a, you didn't see a single highlight of the team that won the game. Exactly, like, right. Yeah. Slam dunks are awesome and a good three-pointer feels so it, it does feel satisfying to see a swish from a three-point line mm-hmm. or something. 
but really good defense that makes the other team miss for 45 minutes of it or you know 40 minutes of a basketball game is probably what it takes to win way more than some <laughs> brilliant st- strike in the it doesn't I don't know I just think that there's something about that one play in soccer that grips the imagination a little bit more absolutely yeah it's all it's all about that moment of magic and that that moment of euphoria and and it's in in the stadium you know and you feel it as well because you can just sit there, you know, chewing your nails, really nervous for like 10, 15 minutes, knowing something might happen. And then mm-hmm. when it does, it's just that intense release and everyone goes crazy. And that is why, like, it's so good. But I, I completely understand why if you're not bought into it, like I don't watch, I can't watch other teams play football on the TV. Like right. if it's meaningless to me, if I turn it on and it's Everton against Southampton, meh, you know. I'm not invested. I don't really Mm -hmm. care what happens. And it is quite boring to watch them just kicking it around without any investment. But it's when you follow that team and it's not just that team and that game and the points of that game, but it's you're following, you know, that entity, you know, Mm -hmm. your identity throughout your entire life. You're so, so much more invested. For sure. I forgot to mention the second thing that I really love about soccer. And I'm just trying to think about how I want to phrase it because it seems to me the other thing that's so great about this sport is that it's a little bit of a counterweight if you can let yourself go far enough back it's a bit of a counterweight against the kind of tribalism of club soccer if you allow yourself to think about it because you know i've been to several different places in the world i've been to rich and poor countries i've been to germany and and haiti you know Mm -hmm. switzerland and romania What's just so great is that every place I've been, I've seen people playing soccer, football, right? Kids, I remember, it was actually one of the most formative moments in my life. Looking back on it, I was 15, and my my mom and I and a couple people from the area of Canada where I live, we went to Romania on a relief mission with like a cargo ship crate full of stuff for the an orphanage and i remember giving these kids like a five dollar rubber soccer ball to play with and how excited and happy they were and they they either got to play on dirt or cement that was their options that's your (laughs) options if the big kids weren't there they got to use the dirt but if the who are there they had to use the cement and just like how happy they were over that so i really do admire this sport's ability because all you need is some sort of flat ground and a ball, and, and a then ball. anyone can play. And that goes well with the, like, your working class. This is like the most democratic sport that there is, or egalitarian sport, maybe, right? Like, this is something that anyone can employ themselves in and enjoying. And that's something I love about it, is that it's so accessible. Exactly. <laughs> Soccer often gets called the beautiful game because of how it looks when you're playing it. But I think it's also the beautiful game because of how it's the most widely played game for all of humanity, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like the sport of the globe. <laughs> Absolutely. Know? And it's and the thing is, you've hit the nail on the head there. It's you know, you can dream in football and you can you can be a kid on a street, you know, kicking a ball and there's nothing to stop you being a professional footballer. You know, you can you can even join I don't know if you you know the name Jamie Vardy. He um, plays mm. for Leicester, Leicester, who won the Premier League, you know, a few years ago. It was a fairy right. tale story. Yeah, and I think we remember in, that. Like they were like so, their odds were so low, and they somehow managed to win. Thousand to one, some wow. people, you know, literally crazy odds. And he was playing five leagues below the Premier League just a few years before that, and wow. he came up through the leagues, 
you know, was playing for village teams, town teams, played for, a, you know, a, another team. And then he came to Leicester and, and sort of got into their first team and ended up winning the Premier League, you know, and it's just that there's a, there's the system, you know, there's the ladder there. You can see your way up. You're not going to get there most likely, <laughs> but there's a, there's yeah. the chance, right? It's a fair game. Anyone can play, anyone can do it. And it's not just domestically. You touched on it, you know, Tottenham don't just play against other English teams. They go and play in the Champions League. They play Barcelona. They play Real Madrid. They'll play Bayern Munich. They'll play the top teams all around Europe. And it's that mix of league, domestic cup, European cup, and everyone, anyone can play and it's all fair. And it's, it's and so inclusive, right? Like I remember growing up at the park nearby, it's just the kind of sport where we're, we're kicking a ball around and then someone's kind of standing at the edges looking on and it's just as simple as, hey, you want to play? And like, that's it. You don't yeah. need any equipment. You don't need, I mean, ideally you're wearing good shoes and a pair of shorts, but like kids in sandals and jeans still play if they want to, you know? And, Absolutely. Yeah, and yeah. I like that because it's, it's like this inclusive, you invite people in, which is like, it's indicative of something I am conceiving of for the purposes of this podcast is what I call the liberal project, which is mm -hmm. figuring out how to include more and more people in the passions that you have or discover their own passions kind of thing, like keeping that, keeping the door open for that kind of stuff. And soccer is just, it's, I can't emphasize this enough. It is so much fun to play. There is so much going on. It's such a great team-based game. It's so good for you. You run so much, <laughs> you know, I guess there's something appropriate that we're talking about the global game on an interconnect connection over the Atlantic. <laughs> yeah no, you know because here's the thing here's what's so great is that you could talk to someone about football from brazil or sudan or laos right if i wanted to talk to someone about loathe i am to say it ice hockey <laughs> i would i would have to talk to people from about 20 countries in the world maybe right mm-hmm because it's so specific and kind of based on climate even for yeah. outdoor purposes, right? Whereas this, you just need a ball and some friends. That's it. And that's, and that's, and the thing is, it's so, see this, I mean, I love American football. Like mm -hmm. I love it and I, I follow it and I watch it, but I can't, and I've played it myself, you know, which is quite unusual for people in England, but I still can't really relate to the things they're doing because they're professionals, right? And they're in their own league and mm -hmm. they're playing each other constantly. And that's all you see. Mm -hmm. I don't see like amateurs playing American football because yeah. if you watched them am amateurs playing it, you'd realize how good the professionals are, right? <laughs> and this so and this is the thing. You don't get any of the college games in England? <laughs> we do, but the college guys are, you know, basically pre-professional, right? They're top of the top. The difference with football is I play football with my friends, you know, on a Thursday night. I can go and watch my local town team play football and they're better than me. I can see how they're better. But then I can go and watch Tottenham play and the contrast there and I can appreciate how much better they are because, you know, I can see it at the different levels. Whereas ice hockey, I'll only ever see the professionals play, you know, so I can't quite comprehend what they're doing, how skillful that is. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And even like the way that you brought up the leagues earlier, there are other professional leagues in North America for for hockey, but you don't get the like chance to get promoted. The top team in the American Hockey League, 
They just win the Calder, Calder Cup. They don't become an NHL team because they're... <laughs> maybe they should. Maybe that's something they should start doing. It's like... Exactly, but, yeah. But here's the thing also. In the AHL, the American Hockey League, they're not just a league down. They're also the like kind of farm teams of the NHL. So there's an affiliate. Every team in the NHL has an affiliate team in the AHL that they can call up So they're players. feeder clubs, right? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So they're not even... They couldn't even be competing. So you, you can obviously come up into the nhl from the nhl if you get called up but it's not like your team will right it's only going to be players so that's yeah. different too that brings a different ethos i think to the game where it's a little bit more personal than team-based for that kind of thing so yeah i mean is there anything else around this topic we haven't talked about yet that you were wanting to bring up or talk about I mean, we've barely talked about the actual game itself and, and, <laughs> and, and you know the 90 minutes spent on the pitch and that's fine because there's so much more well, tell me, tell me what about what, the game. What about the game is so great to you? I mean, I guess it's kind of back to another thing you said about why North Americans aren't really on board with with football, and I think it's probably the game structure, right? It's it's a ninety minute game where you have one one break in the middle, so it's a it's a cliche. It's a game of two halves, right? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. um, it's it's completely true. You know, it's it's eleven people on the pitch for an hour and a half nonstop mm -hmm. you know you don't get to come off and have a break you don't get to have a rest it's full on the clock doesn't stop you keep playing that's what makes it so interesting you know yeah. you can sit sit deep and try and defend for as long as you can but as soon as you concede a goal you've got to completely change your tactics now um, and you've got to now go out and attack right this is probably why again why it's not caught on in north america as well is is maybe because you can't have commercial breaks when you've got a nonstop game, right? Well, yeah, that probably hurts the, game, the business the side of it. Doesn't stop for 45 minutes. You can't just cut away to a commercial because you're going to miss the action. That's so funny too, though, because like I love, I mean, I like most sports, but I especially like continuous play. So to me, the best parts in a hockey game are like the eight minute chunks of a period where there's no break in play. So there's no whistles, mm -hmm. there's no offsides. It's just continuous play. And probably the coaches would say there's some slight breakdown in the defense because <laughs> you, you lose your structure if there's like continuous play and there's more players coming on and off. And yet soccer is kind of like that all the time. I mean, this probably never happens, but you could easily have a 45 minute half where the ball doesn't leave play. Uh, mm -hmm. Well, not easily, <laughs> but it could happen. I mean, right? it it doesn't happen often, but, but yeah, it's, <laughs> but, it's possible. Or, or, but like it's you could, possible. you could have a easy, you could have a 10 minute chunk of time where, the keepers have to make saves, but they don't slow the play down by getting the ball. Like, it's just, there's action. But then the game kind of self slows down, I guess. Like, the way, mm -hmm. unless the strikers are going to be really pressuring the defense, they can slow the game down. And it's just, it's I I personally love watching it because you you see the marriage of a sprint with chess and american football has that a little bit i often call american football pugilistic chess <laughs> <Right>? but <laughs> but with football football you get the kind of chess game without the break which is That's really right. i love that hybrid i really do and yet sometimes there's an x factor there's the knight's move on the chessboard that no one can really predict where some player just is able to do a run through like five people so you just don't know if you're gonna on any given rush you don't know if you're gonna get a methodical approach or like a burst of speed through by one player who can just out effort 
the other players. And that's yeah, even a little yeah. bit different than hockey because hockey, especially in the playoffs, yeah, great defensive structure wins, great goaltending wins, but there's just some games where one team can outheart another team. And mm-hmm. whoever outhearts the other team often wins, right? Yeah. Who wins the puck battles down low? That's not really a talent thing. That's like a will and an effort thing. And I guess maybe in professional soccer, you see all of the different elements that can go into being good at a sport at play, like on one play, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. And um, there was a Dutch, the the Netherlands team from um, the 70s and the 80s, they invented a new new tactic called total football. It used to be the defense would play defense, you know, the midfield would control the midfield and the strikers would score the goals, right? Mm. And it was quite rigid. And, and the Dutch were like, hell to that. We're going to play total football, right? Defenders go forward when you can. When we've got the ball, everyone push. When, <laughs> when we don't have the ball, everyone gets back, right? right? And every single player on that pitch was playing every minute, you know, not waiting for their chance to do something. Every player was involved. They're moving all the time. And it was groundbreaking. And the, following the tactics through history is, is, um, is really good as well, even now, you know. People people have different formations. So you've got four four two, you know, four defenders, four midfielders, mm-hmm. two strikers, which is just kind of out of the box formation. But you rarely see that nowadays. It's all, you know, people play down the wings or they play through the middle or they do a long ball over the top. It's a three D game, you know, <laughs> it's three D chess with so many variables that anything can happen. And you're just hoping that that moment does happen and that one moment of magic. So mm. you can go crazy as a fan. <laughs> something just occurred to me i don't know exactly where england is in its vaccine rollout slash opening strategy in a post-covid or a hopefully soon to be post-covid world but how has football what's it been like during covid as a fan maybe as someone who plays like i imagine there's so much camaraderie that comes from Maybe and especially maybe even in smaller towns or or smaller neighborhoods in England of like neighbors going to the pub to watch the game kind of thing. Mm. Like, what effect has COVID had on the football culture in England? I think quite a lot. So when when the lockdown came in in April, March, April of last year, all sport was cancelled essentially, and it wasn't until I think we reopened up in maybe. Is it the September of last year? The government allowed elite sport. So they allowed the top two tiers of, of English football to play. And the the broadcasters scheduled it so that all games will be played at different times. So every single game was on TV. So it turned fans who would go to the stadium and watch the game into armchair fans, essentially. We sat at home. We looked on Twitter. You <laughs> yeah, know, right. We text our friends while watching the game. Um, so it's very different. As a fan, you do get more detached, less emotional. You know, I'm not standing on my chair cheering and shouting like I used to. <laughs> but I'm still invested. You yeah. know, I'm still, I still have my mood swings. If Tottenham win, I'm really, really happy and I'm buzzing. And if they lose, I'm oh, really frustrated and, you know, not depressed, but it really gets to me still. So, yeah, it's, re- it's really important and it has, has affected how, how people support football, I guess but it's changed now i mean people fans are allowed back so the last two games mm. um they were allowed eight thousand fans in the stadium which is um more than anything good for the teams because as i said without without the fans without the revenue you know they're going to lose money and it, it could be 
quite critical for the game itself. Right. You know, it's funny you're saying that. I think I've done something good for my mental health in my fandom with the Montreal Canadiens in that I still cheer and get excited when they're doing well, but I've been able to not get angry or sad when they do poorly. (laughs) So I found the good asymmetry there because, like, for example... They're in a series right now. For the first time in 42 years, they're playing their traditional arch rival, the Toronto Maple Leafs, in the playoffs. But Toronto is just a much better team. They have more talent, and they're faster, and their defense is better. Montreal has just looked old and slow in this series. And and Toronto's up 3-1, first to four wins. So tonight is probably the last night that there will be a game. I'm even, like, my head is... If I was betting, I would bet for Toronto, right? Even though Montreal's (laughs) my team. But I'll tell you this, Dave. If Montreal scores the first goal, I am back on the bandwagon. Like, I am like, (laughs) I am a little more peaked, a little bit excited, a little bit like, oh, maybe, 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 right? Like, there's always that. The hope that kills you, Luke. There's that hope hope that. that, Well, I say about Montreal, I'm not always proud, but I'm always loyal. And it's just funny. It is. My attachment to them was unhealthy at one point in my life. Like I, I think it was, I must, it must've been like maybe 2006, 2007. I remember they lost a game in overtime in the playoffs or something. And I like screamed at the TV and I started crying and I was like in university residence. (laughs) Like I was just (laughs) surrounded by people who didn't have the same attitude as I did. And I could just like, oh, this is not a healthy reaction to a sports game. I mean, this is more personal to me, I guess. I've had to work on that. I've really worked hard at keeping the positive side of being a fan of the team without getting too... I guess it's 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 as simple as when Montreal wins, I'm as happy as I ever was. And when they lose, it feels more... I've figured out a way to make it feel more like just another team I don't care about that lost. And that's, but that's a part of growing up, right? It's controlling your emotions and rationalizing <laughs> yourself, you know, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm the same, you know, there was a time when I would be overwhelmed with emotion and I'd be screaming and wanting to attack things, you know, because right. we've lost, but now I'm in a house with two small kids and it's, you know, it's Sunday afternoon. I can't so, be shouting and screaming and punching things. You does know, this so you mean just rein it in. Does this mean I'm growing up, David? Does this mean I'm a big guy now? <laughs> I think so. Yes, I can control my emotions. It's all in the molars. It's all in the molars. Uh, was there any other thing we haven't touched on you wanted to talk about? No, no, take your time. Take your time. I'm not... Oh, that tickled me. I'm sorry. No, that's good. Ah, oh, that was funny. No, I think that's it. I all think right. I'm good. So if you'd have to encapsulate it all, put it into like a, a, a phrase or a paragraph, like why do you love football? I love football because it's more than it's more than the game. It's more than watching the sport. It's the feeling of belonging to a team, having an identity and following them through thick and thin. And the camaraderie that you get when you talk to other people who believe the same thing. Mm. <laughs> yeah. It's true. I hear a lot of parallels there and just kind of like the human yearning to be part of a group that they can be a a participating member in kind of thing, right? 
Because I bet mm-hmm. you almost as fun as watching the games is talking about them with your friends, right? Absolutely, yeah. And that's, I mean, we've we've sat here and spoke for, for how long ever we have, and we barely spoke about the actual game itself. Right? Yeah. We've talked around everything about the supporting it and about the growing up with it and the history. And, and that's, the, that's the stuff that, that's the real, the real fun, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I would have to say football, like Batman, has become a symbol. <laughs> a symbol for the people. <laughs> the working class man. I think, uh, what is it? Football isn't the sport we deserve, but it's the sport we need. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Anyway, I totally resonate with all that. I still love. I I don't. Even, I get so torn to call it football or soccer. You'll probably notice I I just switch back and forth. Switch between. Yeah, actually, that's cool. I was gonna ask you because a friend texted me and asked me to ask you if it's true that the term football is only from the seventies. It's not. It's not from the seventies. It was from before that. But 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 soccer is the correct term. Mm. Was it ever called soccer in England at any point? Yes, it was. Yeah. So we called it um, association football. Oh, okay. And then that was abbreviated to soccer, sockball, soccer. But then like other, you know, like the English language, we decided that nah, we're going to change it to football. <laughs> Yet our fellow friends over the pond stuck with what we were calling it at the time. And <laughs> now now we have a difference. It's just, just like pants, you know, you call what we called trousers, pants, and we're like, that's crazy. But <laughs> we stole it from the French pantaloon. We took it over there, and then we changed it to trousers and now call you stupid for <laughs> keeping the old word. <laughs> yeah. Well, this might be a more, this is a more of a historical point than a modern one, but um, I have noticed a disposition, a mild one, but a disposition in, in uh, the British temperament to linguistically distance themselves from any and all things American. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of friendly rivalries. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And I didn't actually, yeah, I mean, it's not worth mentioning now, really. But I think that's when you come to world football, that's that's a really interesting thing because you you really bring politics into it then. You know, like when England won the World Cup against Germany, you know, everyone had that war fresh in their mind and and that would really meant something. Well, Um, and like and likewise, when um when East and West Germany came back and, and were Germany and then, and then they started winning things, you know, mm. it, it was more than a game. It was, right. it was politics. Well, um, and don't even mention FIFA in all this, right? <laughs> best, best not to. <laughs> <laughs> we bring it up to not talk about it. So yeah. anyway, Dave, I just want to say a big thanks for coming on the podcast today. I really appreciate your time and I just feel like I don't get to talk to you enough anymore. So you'll be one of my British correspondents on this podcast. <laughs> I'd love nothing more. You can bring Thanks us the uh, cultural milieu of England every now and again. I'd love to. That'd be my pleasure. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, everyone, for listening. My guest today, Dave Harris, you found the liberal soul. <laughs>